first sermon of the new year? You excited? Well, okay, uh, I'll see you guys next week. Yeah, I know. Ended, ended last year perfectly. Ended last year, 2021, talking about demons. What a, what a great way to end the year. Um, all right, so before I jump into the passage, a couple things. And I'm just going to get these out of the way right now because I don't want to mix them into the jumble of the, the passage. I don't want to mix them in there. Just a couple thoughts of my own before I get started. One, I'm so happy to be back in Luke. I mentioned this last week. I wanted to say it again. I'm just so happy. I, I enjoy so much just working my way through the text of Scripture. Like, this is the next thing. I was, I told Paul uh, about a month ago, I was looking ahead and looking at what's coming in Luke. And I was like, man, I just have no idea how this is going to play out each and every week. But it's always amazing to me. And I've said this probably, if you've been here for a while, I've said this probably a hundred times. It's always amazing to me how I get to the next chunk and I'm like, well, that's just great. That's just a wonderful passage right there, okay? And I'm, I found the same thing to be true here. Uh, a second thing, I've also found the timeliness, the amazing timeliness of what we talk about on Sunday as I'm working my way through scripture and how it connects to just what's going on in our lives, um, today we're going to be talking about two stories, two intertwined stories, one about healing and the other about a resurrection. And I can't help but think about Frank. Um, uh, I've, I've mentioned to my wife a few times now that one of the things that could, and I'm just spilling my heart here, one of the things that could drive me out of doing this is, is that. Um, I just, I, ha- I hate death. Don't you? I just, I hate sickness. Don't you hate sickness? Those of you that are sick, you're like, really do. <laughs> I'm sick of it, right? Amen. amen. I knew I'd get an amen. Um, there's been many times where I have been in a hospital or in a home, and in the back of my mind, just thought, Lord, I, and I, I say wish, that's the word I mean. I'm not praying it, because in those moments of like, Lord, I know that you don't want me to ask this, but I, man, I wish I could. God, just be healed right now, you. Rise up, you. And when you're called in as a pastor, and you arrive, and you have somebody that's near death or at death's door, whether it's young, old, doesn't make a difference. There's a part of me that always wants to just, wish I could do that. It's tough because, and this is where I get to my third little side point. It's tough because in, in this book, you have to understand a very shallow reading of, of this book would lead someone to think that that is how it should be every single time somebody gets sick. We should be able to just go and say, you're better. And this, this covers thousands of years of history and God's interaction with humanity, and the amount of times that it turns into that is just little bits. I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute, but I'm just, I don't want to mix this in with the, the text, but I do want you to understand that concept before we dig into this. I think it will help you understand what we're going to talk about today. When you understand that one of the key, in fact, 
an amazing element. When you see the miraculous show up in the Bible, almost every single time it's in close connection with something else. It's almost every single time in close connection with God revealing something about himself. Some new information. We call it revelation. When God is revealing, you see many times it validated by something supernatural. And so you see the, the biggest, most miraculous things in conjunction with the biggest, most miraculous revelations. Think in the Old Testament, when you see some of the, the hugest miracles was in connection with Moses. And what's Moses doing? God is revealing a ton through Moses, given the law. You see this as we go through the Old Testament. You see huge spans of times where nothing miraculous or nothing what we might call supernatural is happening. Although we would probably most of us argue and say, I mean, every day when I walk out and the sun rises up, that's a miracle in and of itself. I mean, that, that's true. But when we want to see the things that are supernatural, and you have to understand that those things go in close connection with Revelation. So it, it ought not to be a shock or surprise that when God reveals himself in the fullest possible way in the flesh, you ought to see God in the flesh surrounded by the supernatural. And that's exactly what you see in the New Testament. You see it begin to taper off as the, the apostles and the disciples are writing, the, the New Testament writers are writing, you still see remnants, but even by the end of those stories, you start to see that tapering off even before the scriptures are done. It's frustrating though, isn't it? Because I still see these passages and I still see Jesus heal somebody and go, I, just, I wish I could do it. Last time I went to see Frank, I, I was just sitting there and like watching him. He was on oxygen and just the breathing. Every breath was a struggle. And in my heart, I'm like, Lord, I just... Now, I know he has no problem breathing right now. I would not be surprised if in the paradise that he's in at this moment, he's doing some sprinting. I need to mention these things as we dig in because we're going to hear some miraculous things. And I want you to know as we dig into these things that the key, most important reason why these things are done is to validate who he is. Okay? That's the key. He says it many times. We've talked about this a few times on Luke already. It'll come up again where Jesus will even point to those things. Look what, look what I'm doing. If you want to know if I'm really God in the flesh... The supernatural validates that. All right, so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we are here. I would ask now that as we look at your word, that you would unfold the, the truths in it before us today. I pray that the, the study I've done will be sufficient to that task. I ask that even... Even in spite of that, Lord, I pray that as the words are presented today, that your word will be delivered not just through my speech, but through the power of the Spirit of God into individual hearts to receive these truths. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so, all right, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, th this is a great, great story. I just lo I, I love Luke just tearing all these stories, and I, fi I finally dawned on me, because I was, uh, this is the part I was telling Paul, I was like, it just seems like we do some of the same things, and so we've talked about healings already, we talked about that in Luke already, we talked about resurrections already, but, and, and so I was actually kind of worried, this is so stupid, by the way, I was actually kind of worried that we, got, we would get bored by it, 
that's stupid. I'm a dummy. I, and then, but then, you know what? It's, and I, I decided in my study this week, I was like, who cares? This, it's awesome every time. In fact, you can read the same stories again, and it's awesome again. So, so here we are. We're going we're gonna to dig into the story. And I, this is a great, great story. There's, there's humor. There's suspense. There's intrigue. It's got it all. Okay? Now, where was Jesus just at? Because we're going to jump into here. Where was Jesus just at? When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Where was he just at? Come on, think back last week if you were here. Remember where he was at? Some of you got like, something about demons. Okay, I know that you remembered that part, but where? Yeah, the Gerasenes, some versions say Gadarenes, right? So he's on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. At the very end of that story, you see him hopping back in the boat. Because on that side, after he cast those demons out of that guy, were they like, hey, come on, stay with us. But what'd they do? They're afraid of him, and they go, get out of here, please. We don't want you here. And so it tells us at the end of that, when he gets back in the boat, he sails back across. This is where we're at. Jesus returned. The crowd that he had left when he sailed away is still there when he gets back. This is very positive. One of the commentaries I read said there's a very positive element to the way this is phrased. Like these people are genuinely interested in seeing Jesus. Okay? So it's kind of like when you guys got here this morning, like ready to see Jesus today. And some of you, it took a little coffee to get to that point, but you're there. And you're like, okay, ready to see Jesus. I'm here. I'm ready. I want to see Jesus. This is how this crowd is. They're waiting for him. It's a huge group of people. And while he's there, a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, um, came. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. This is where it started to ring true in my heart. I can feel this guy. Now, so far have the ones that are in the religious circles, especially the leadership in the religious circles in Jesus' day, have they been the type that this would fit into what they characteristically done? Most of the, I mean, most of the religious leaders, are they like shunning him at this point, getting to that point where like we don't want to be around him? But this religious leader, this ruler of the synagogue, this is probably the guy that organized the, the synagogue worship each Sabbath. So he was the guy that did like the order of service, decided who was talking, who's going to sing, who's going to write. He's got it all together, made the bulletin. <laughs> did they have bulletins? I don't think so. But this is this guy. We know his name. It's, it's hard for us to really compute this because we don't have anything like this in our society. We don't have like a central hub in our Danville community where we all know this guy. He's like, we've got our mayor, but some of you are like, I don't even know him. I don't like him anyway, or I do like him. He's great, or like, I don't even know if I could say who he is at the moment. I mean, we don't have something like that. We don't have places where our whole communities get together except for church. And even this church, we're not all from like right down the street. For them, they would have that synagogue, and that town would congregate to that synagogue. And this guy was like, so he would have been a prominent person in this city that he's in. And he's one of the religious leaders. He's ruler of the synagogue. And he, this prominent social, great social standing, is now at the feet of Jesus. And I get it. He's got a daughter. And Luke shares with us that it's his only daughter. And she's dying. In Mark's gospel, he shares it this way. He says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. I want her to live. 
Let me ask you, can, can you feel this, Dad? Can you feel it? Please. Who cares what I look like in this moment? I don't care. I, I've seen what he's done. I want him to do that for me. And so he falls at his feet and implores him earnestly. Jesus agrees to go with him. And the people... Now, so just start to get this mental image. Huge crowd, and the people are pressing around him. This guy came in front of all these people on his knees. Lord, please, please, come. My daughter, my only daughter, Luke told us, is dying. She's at the point of death. This pressed around him. Do you remember the story of the, the sower and the seed? Remember the one where the, the plants grew up, and it said then the thorns grew up and choked them out? That word that's translated choked them out is the same word that you see here when it says pressed. So that's the, like we're talking, like some of you would be like, you're getting sweaty palms just thinking about it, <laughs> right? Who's in here is like, oh man, I would hate that. People just pressed up around me. It reminds me of when we visited New York. We were just talking about this the other day, visited New York. And we'd happen to get on the subway in the rush hour and it was like, I'm touching all kinds of things that I don't think I should be touching here. <laughs> like, who knows what I'm bumping into this is awkward, and one hand is on my wallet because I'm like, I don't want that to go. And it, it, but you're like, this, this is the feel pressed up around him. And there was a woman, it tells us next, who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. How old was the daughter? 12. I don't think there's any significance there, but it's interesting. This woman has been suffering with something as long as this other child's been alive. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. This discharge of blood was most likely a uterine hemorrhage. It would have made her, according to Leviticus 15, it would have made made her perpetually unclean. Because uh, when it talks about a discharge of blood like this with a woman, it was seven days after it had stopped before she could be ceremonially clean. And so she was ceremonially unclean. For 12 years. If she touched someone, they would also become considered ceremonially unclean. So this woman, because of the society she lived in, it was most likely she had not touched anyone purposefully, and nobody had purposefully touched her in 12 years. You just think about the physical element. The, 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 the spiritual element, the emotional aspect, plus an embarrassing thing. I mean, she's not going to want to just out in front of everybody, hey, this is my problem. She probably had to explain it to people sometimes, like if somebody went in to hug, like I, I can't. Oh, why? Well, I'm, people would start to put it together. Mark's gospel says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. One of my commentary said, some things never change. <laughs> Here from the Talmud during this time, this, is, this was uh, uh, something that they would have said. They, this is what type of thing she may have encountered. Um, the Talmud says, uh, take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, the alum of the same, and crocus the same. Let them be bruised together, given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this does not benefit, take of Persian onions, three pints, boil them in wine, 
and give her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let some, uh, some, someone come up behind her and frighten her. This sounds more like a cure for hiccups. And say, Arise from the... Okay, so she's obviously, if this is the kind of stuff she was getting, not getting better. And I imagine the deterioration was not just from the physical ailment, but also just an emotional reality. When you're secluded from people for 12 years where you cannot touch. She would not have been able to go to the synagogue and, and worship with everyone else. What a hard, hard situation she's in. And she comes up behind him. I love this. Comes up behind him in this crowd. Can you picture it? Touches the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She knew it. Means she must have, there must have been an element physically where she knew. The fringe of his garment, Jews would wear this garment. In fact, uh, I think it's in um, where is it at here? In Exodus, I, I know in Numbers 15, they would talk about these, these tassels. I actually brought one today. Have one. I, some of you remember this from a while back, these tassels, and it said to have a blue, and this was to represent, I think, the priests, and anything to do with the temple, was there was a lot of blue cloth in it, so they would have these tassels on the corner. And in the, uh, um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Jesus would have had, the word that's translated tassel is the same word that you see here in this passage, touch the fringe of his garment, the word that's translated fringe. Now, I'm not 100% certain that that's what this is, but I think probably that's what it was. And that makes sense. That would have been the easiest thing for her to reach out and snag. So I brought this as a visual today, okay? Let's look at that picture again. So you, can you imagine sneaking through the crowd? I imagined her hunched down in my, in my imagination. I imagined her... Like, sneaking through the crowd. Excuse me, pardon me. She knows she's making everybody unclean. But she's desperate. She knows this guy has done some amazing things. And in the depths of her being, she just thinks, if I could just touch. I think... And I wonder if she had heard the story of the leprous man. Do you remember back in Luke chapter 5, there was a man with leprosy? Was someone with leprosy also considered unclean? Remember this story? While he, was one of the, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and something he ought not to do the leper, leprous person was touched. I will be clean. When we talk about this passage, we talk about the reality that Christ, in his being of who he is, instead of becoming unclean himself, is, is of the sort that will make that man clean. Instead of it transferring this way, it transfers this way. And so I wonder if she thought to herself, I, maybe she heard this story. I mean, the leprous man, he was unclean. I'm unclean. He touched him, made him clean, 
Maybe if I could just touch him, I would be clean. Okay, got the picture, mental image? You see her sneaking through? Tassel on the side. Go ahead, grab it. Reach out. Okay, now, now he, was in a, he was in a mass of people, right? Was she the only one that was touching him? No. And Jesus' response is hilarious to me. Who touched me? Because if you were in that situation, you'd be like... <laughs> and that's kind of how the disciples react. Uh, Lord. <laughs> Who touched me? When all denied it, Okay, so they're all denying it. We didn't touch you. Okay, everybody's touching you. But they're like, I didn't touch you. What does he mean? They were all touching him. <laughs> they all denied it. And Peter said, Master, Peter, good old Peter, <laughs> let me help you out, Lord. Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. <laughs> like Jesus is going to go, oh, that's right. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> but can you put yourself in the shoes of these disciples in this moment? They're on the way to heal this, this man, and they get stopped. And he, I mean, they're on their way. The guy said, she, she's near the point of death, so they're probably hurrying a little bit. And, and Jairus is probably like, oh, he's coming. Come on, let's go, let's go. And so I, I imagine the, the speed of the walk from Jairus. And then Jesus is following, and he's like, he's probably getting kind of excited. Like, he's going to make it, he's going to make it. I know she was close to death, but she's going to make it. And all of a sudden, Jesus just stops and goes, all right, who touched me? And the disciples are like, um, they're all touching you. Jesus said, I'm not going to even attempt to understand what's going on here. Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. This is not explained. It's just told to us. Jesus in his humanity, anew. And I think, I think that even in his question, who touched me, I believe he did. I believe we're getting a reminiscent feel of when he, in the physical form, walked in the garden looking for Adam and Eve and said, where are you guys at? There's a certain element where he's calling that out because he knows it's good for her, I think, to say. I perceive the power has gone out for me. And the woman, seeing that she wasn't really hidden, came trembling I don't know why she was trembling. I can guess. Can you guess? It could be more than one possible right answer. I wonder if she was concerned that maybe she shouldn't have. And he was a rabbi. She was unclean. Would he like the other religious leaders be like, you? you why? call her out on it. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people. This challenge she's been facing her whole life. It would feel that way, 12 years. And she says it in front of all the people why she had touched him. But then she says, but I was healed. What a brave declaration. Now, before we get back to the previous story, because we still have a sick daughter, a 
to the point of death. This is the only time that we have this happen in any of these miracle stories where one miracle is interrupted by another miracle and it goes back. What a great story, though. He says to her, next, verse 48, daughter, your faith has made you well. You can go in peace. In Luke chapter 7, verse 50, there was another statement very similar to this one where there was a sinful woman who was forgiven of her sins and it was translated this way. Luke chapter 7, verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, for this next thing I'm going to show you, we don't need Paul. Paul, we know you're the Greek scholar, but we don't need you. We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. Should I make him quote? No. Um, I'd like you to look at this. So, so 848, 750, and then here's 848 again. So notice I highlighted this portion. This And this one is the... Uh, uh, daughter, your the daughter is right here, and this right here. Your faith. This is the Greek for your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Um, here, oh, here is your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, now look at these words. The, does this one look okay? That looks kind of like that one, capitalized, right? Does this word look like this word? That's faith. Just do us, right? Does that word look the same? Now, I'm expecting to see something different. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. I'm expecting to see something different. Let's see if it looks different over here. Faith has, does that look the same as that one? Does that look the same as that? Does that look the same as that? Ooh. So the translation that's translated in 750, your faith has saved you, the same exact statement is translated in this, your faith has made you well. In fact, you will see most often that when you're talking about... Because saved carries a religious connotation to us, does it not? If you know anything about church or Christianity, that's one thing. Are you saved? Would you like to be saved? For them, I think there's a little bit different of a connotation. Rescued. Whatever horrible thing... You've been pulled out of it. That's this word. Saved. Made well. Her horrible situation with this issue of blood for 12 years, being unclean. I show you this for one purpose. Because I'm going to tell you right now, this lady, today, physically, dead. How about the daughter? Is she still around? No. I believe that when Christ does these things, it's always, we don't know already for validation of who he is, but when he's doing these things, the, the saving that he's doing is less about the physical ailment and more about something else because your, your physical ailment is really just a manifestation of the real problem in all of humanity. Sin entered the world, and through sin, death. You're all dying. And how could Jesus not foresee or see it that way? When you're totally healthy, you're still dying. 
There's not one of us that's exempt from that. So when Christ does this with his eternal perspective, I don't believe at all that he's merely concerned with this thing or, or this physical thing, but it's always about something greater than that. He wants to save you to the uttermost. So he tells her, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. When we look at these stories, there's one piece that you can just walk away from this, if nothing else. Faith. Faith is what it's about for Christ. And he points us to this belief, this faith. Now, that's going to come up again. Let's remember, we still have a, we have a dad with a sick daughter who's probably, even in the compassion of his heart for this woman, is probably still a little bit like, you know, have you ever done that when you, when you start walking? <laughs> like, I'm so glad for this, but I, I can't help but think this dad is thinking primarily about his only child. While they're still speaking, though, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. You don't need to trouble the teacher anymore. That'd be hard news, wouldn't it? The people may not have realized the extent of Christ's ability as God in the flesh. Even though we know he's done this already in Luke with the widow's son. Jesus, hearing this, answered and said, don't fear, don't be, what, it's exactly what a dad would need to hear. Don't, don't be afraid. Only believe. Now, this word that's translated believe is the exact same word when he says faith, the, the same word, is the same word as believe. So our Bibles translate this, that word that's translated faith. If he's talking about it like a noun, they translate it faith. If it's a verb, like do this, it's translated belief. Same word. So he just told this woman, your faith has saved you. And he turns around and says to this guy, daughter said, don't be afraid. Faith it. <laughs> right? He says the same word, but as a verb. I always think about it like the word trust. In the English language, the word trust is very similar to that. Can you use the word trust as a noun? Like I have trust in someone. But then you can also use it as a verb. You can say, trust me. That's kind of what's happening here. Christ just told this person, your, your trust has made you well, has made you saved, has saved you. And he turned around and said to this guy, trust me. And he had just heard him say this. See what I did here? Don't, don't be afraid. Trust. Believe. Put your faith in me. She will be made well. You think that's the same word that's translated saved? <laughs> Absolutely. She'll be rescued from death. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father, and the mother of the child. The whole rest of the crowd, he says, out, just you, come on in. It's one of the first times we've seen the Peter, James, and John trio allowed into the, the inner circle of what's getting ready to happen. And they get in there, all were mourning and weeping, so the most likely 
customary traditional mourners had arrived at the house, weeping. And he tells them when he comes in, this weeping and mourning is like a wailing. He says, don't weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. It's not to mean that they have misdiagnosed what happened. In fact, the very next verse says, and they laughed at him knowing, not thinking, but they knew, they knew the difference between dead and asleep. I know the difference, Jesus, between dead and asleep. This isn't sleeping. This is dead. And so they laugh at Jesus because he misdiagnosed. He said, no, she's just asleep. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's not the case. She's dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And so he goes over to this dead girl, 12 years old, dead. They knew it. He reaches his hand, takes his second by the hand, he says, child, arise. Mark's gospel bears a little bit more of the eyewitness element to it. Luke is getting this second hand. Mark's gospel gives a little bit more. And includes the Aramaic that Jesus, the exact words that Jesus would have said, and then what it was translated as. So Mark says, "We're taking by the hand, Talitakumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. So he, he went over to this little girl and he said, Talitakumai. And this dead girl, no breath, no heartbeat. I wonder if the dad heard that first breath back. I think he did. It's what we all want to hear when those who have gone is we wish we could hear them one more time. I don't think at all that we ought to walk away from this and think to ourselves, I wish Jesus did this every day because I'm telling you, this girl is not still here. But what's pictured in what Jesus is doing is a salvation. We learned last week he defeats the demonic spiritual world. And in this story, overlapped, Jesus has power over disease and over death. This is your Savior. And this eyewitness account was recorded for you so that when you're sitting here today, whatever you're facing, you can know that Jesus saves and it's not by what you've done. He doesn't save the way every other religion in the world. You've got to get your act together and make sure you're doing everything right and make sure you have it all together. No, that's not what Jesus does. And faith, this faith is pictured in so many different ways just in this story. It's pictured by a, if I could just touch. It's also pictured by a dead girl who did she do anything? Rise. He says it to her. Her spirit returns, and she got up at once. And him, being a realist as well, says, "You better." She's probably hungry. I imagine the rest of them are like. And she was probably like, what? <laughs> and he was like, give her something to eat. She's 
He's hungry. Her parents were amazed. And unlike the man he healed last week, saved, rescued last week from that spiritual oppression that he was in from those demons, unlike him who he said, go and tell what God has done, he tells these, don't. Part of the answer to why that's the case is because over there he was in the land of Gentiles. Here he's in the land of the Jews. And he knows that, he knows that things are brewing. But the timing of his crucifixion and resurrection is in God's hands. And he's saying, don't, don't do it. He's already well known here. Don't do it. Don't go tell. Don't tell anybody what happened. Obviously the story leaked. Mark heard it. Luke got it. It was written down, recorded as history for you today, 2,000 years later, to know that there was a man named Jesus who was either a, a, a crazy guy or a, just, I mean, he was either an absolute loon, demented, or is a de- great deceiver. But if this is the case, it changes everything, does it not? Anybody that says the things that he says but doesn't validate it, you got to go. But he says it and then does it. And we're going to see this repeated again and again and again through Luke. And we're not going to get tired of it because this is written down for you to believe. And so I tell you today, wherever you're at, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're doing, the one thing that you ought to reach out for is Christ. That's it. Lord, he's the one that can rescue you. He's the one that can save you. And by faith alone, he saves to the uttermost. And in bigger ways than this. In fact, I would say that we have a freedom today to recognize that it's not about those things. I love it when people that are knowing physically their own will, but when they say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done, that exhibits great faith. In fact, I'm going to give you a homework assignment this week. Before we do communion, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Okay, you ready for it? I, now, I don't see pencils out. You guys get your pencils out? Please write this down. School starts back tomorrow. Why don't you go to Hebrews, and if, in fact, go ahead and turn, go ahead and just flip over there right now to make sure you know what you're looking at. Hebrews chapter 11. Um, anybody know what, what's the nickname for Hebrews chapter 11? The faith chapter. Here's your assignment. I'd like you to work your way through Hebrews 11 this week and bring it back on Sunday, and I want you to show it to me, and I'll give you a grade. I'm joking. I'm not going to do that. I want you to work through the faith chapter, starting with verse 4. I mean, you can read the first three verses there, but I want you to start with verse 4. I want you to look for all the places where it says, by faith, this happened, or by faith, this person did this, or through faith, this happened. I want you to go through those things, and I want you to ask yourself how many times, I want you to write down, so underline every time you see that, by faith, or through faith, right, all those things, go through, the, okay, by faith, this happened, by faith, this, this went on, by faith, these things happened. Every single time. And I want you to ask yourself how many of them were by faith they were healed. I think what you're going to find is there's a lot of things that happen by faith 
that don't always fall into the category of they got healed. Now, I'm telling you this for one reason only. There's a, a false gospel that filters around in our world that says if you prayed and that person didn't get healed, that means you didn't have enough faith. I'm telling you, Jesus goes, that's baloney. You, you don't even, it's not about that. He says you can have faith like a mustard seed and you can say this mountain be moved. It's not the point. It's not about how much you got. By faith, you start to see the bigger picture. And then you hear, then, you, then this starts to make sense. By faith, I mean, if you get down to the end, sounds great. Women receive, verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. That's what we want to see. But then the very, verse, very next statement, some were tortured. That's still under the, the heading of by faith. Refusing to accept release. Others suffered mocking and flogging. Still under the heading. This is, this is things that happen by faith. Even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Of whom the world was not worthy. Because they did these things by faith. I just want to tell you. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. The ultimate rescue that's going to happen is a rescue from eternal damnation in hell. A reconciliation with God. By faith, Abraham believed and was counted to him as righteousness, it says in Genesis. By faith, you look to this God and you say, Lord, I'm putting my faith, my hope, my trust in you. He can deliver you from any of these things, any of these ailments, any of these diseases. At any moment, if he wanted to, he could... He could, he could raise up Frank right now. I think Frank would probably be upset about that. Because Frank has experienced salvation in a bigger picture. Saved to the uttermost. All his years of being here. I, I didn't know him, but the last few years of his life. But my wife mentioned he was faithful. Here, as the doors were open, Frank was going to walk in. Many times, like this, right? Why did he do that? Was it to be, make himself righteous? Do you think Frank was thinking to himself, if I do this, God will be pleased with me and he'll be happy? Do you think that's what it was? Why, why, why do it? Is it to earn anything? What, what does somebody do? I mean, I try to get you guys to come to church. Why? No, this is a real question I'm asking you. What? What's that? Yeah. Be, just be here. Why, why would he just want to be here? Love, love God. He'd, he'd put all of his eggs in one basket. Right? Jesus. And when you put all your eggs in one basket, you, you tend to be more passionate about that basket. Yeah, he was rescued. He, everything was about this. Through the end of his days, everything was about this. He wanted so much. Last time I saw him, he wanted so much. Like, I wish I could just get up 
He, he couldn't walk across the room. He'd be out of breath. He's like, I just can't wait. I wish I could, ju- I wish I could just come. What a challenge to all of us, but why? Why would he? It's, it's, it's this faith played out. That's what it looks like. It's people that just go, I want to be where he is. I just want to be near him. It's the closest thing you can get to. Right? That's what this is every Sunday. It's just a bunch of people going, I just, he's not here physically. I can't reach out and touch his tassels. Man, I just want to be as near as I possibly can. And this is a place I know when I come and sing and praise and hear his word. It's, it's, it's just us going like this. It's us. You guys are like a bunch of little, little old ladies sneaking in here with an ailment and just going, I just want. I'm going to shift gears here. And I forget the order of how we were going to do this. I'll just do my thing, he said. Um, for those of you that are visiting... This is about a remembering. What did Christ do? Right before he went to the cross, he was having that supper. What did he do with the bread? Broke it. So here we got a piece of bread for you. Unleavened bread. We're gonna, I'm going to break it. And what, what did he say as he broke that bread? This is, this is my what? My body, which is broken for you. Right? You imagine him being one of his disciples and hearing, after all the things he'd done, they're still not getting, he's going to a cross. He keeps telling, he's telling them, I'm going to a cross, I'm going to die. They're like, that's not going to happen, Lord. This is my body, which is broken for you. Later on, I imagine them looking back at that and going, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And then he gave them this. What about the cup? This cup is the new covenant in my what? Blood. Right? Imagine him pouring that out with his disciples. You imagine them thinking of that shed blood later when they did this again and again and again. The early church did this every single Sunday. Imagine them seeing that every single week and thinking back, the ones who had known him, that blood shed. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come up in just a minute. I'm going to pray for these things, pray a blessing on this bread and this cup. It's still just a bread and a cup. I'll pray that God would bless it and let it be meaningful to you. If you're here today and you're not a believer, if you're unsure, if you're harboring sin in your heart, I would encourage you to stay seated. But if you're here today and you're a wreck of a person, but you just go, I just, if I could just sneak through the crowd and touch the hem of his robe he would make me clean then I encourage you to exhibit that faith as you come up here just pick that cup up after you grab it I'm going to have you come up we're going to come up around here after I pray Um, I'm going to encourage you to grab a cup it's a double cup right so we have the bread and the grab one take it back to your seat and just, just hold on to it I think we're going to sing a verse at that point. Do that, do it all at the end. Okay, we're just going to play. Once everybody has come through, and I see that everybody is sitting back down again, I'm going to lead you through the rest from uh, 1 Corinthians. Okay, so let me pray a blessing on this, and then you guys can start filtering up and getting a cup.
Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I just thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things that you've done for us. I thank you, God, that uh, people like John Mark and, and Luke and Matthew recorded these stories for us to read, that they are not just some mythology, but just reality, that you came and validated your ministry and your, your person by exhibiting power over demons, disease, and death. Lord, we know that eventually you exhibited ultimate power over your own death, that death on a cross. Lord, we know as we look back that that was purposeful and that your exhibiting of power over death will ultimately and did ultimately free every single one of us from the need, the, from the, the sting of death in our own lives. Lord, we know because of your resurrection, your personal resurrection, not just the ones that you did, not just Jairus' daughter, but your personal resurrection. Because of that, we know, we know, those of us who are in Christ, know we're going to see Frank again one day. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray now as people come up today, Lord God, I ask that you would work in all of our hearts to let us just simply be ones that are reaching out to you to grab the hem of your garment, knowing there's not a thing about us that earns our righteousness. It's all in you. Let us by faith today participate in Christ's name.